Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. As we have been sort of looking at the high marks of the, through the book of Joshua, and as we, as we proceed on, we're just... We're getting to the point where we're just going to be going to skim over the mountain peaks of Joshua from this point forward. But we wanted to sort of slow down and take our time. It is, brothers and sisters, uh, these first five chapters that parallel our very lives that we live today. And so if we miss that parallel, uh, we can sort of miss how to apply God's word into our own life. And so... Uh, Joshua chapter 5, we're going to attempt to look at the whole chapter today. I just want to grab the end of it, sort of the climax of Joshua 5. So stand with me to your feet. We're just going to read verses 13 to 15. And uh, and then we're going to work our way, we're going to back up and work our way to this passage. I want you to hear this though. Uh, Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. So God, may you give to us, your people, the comfort and the encouragement, the motivation, the repentance the restoration, the renewal, the revival, salvation, Lord, whatever we have come into the room needing that is an obstacle to our purpose and your glory, Lord, we pray that you would remove it for there is a war to fight and none of us can fight it alone. Bring your people together for such a time as this and may we see your sovereign hand has brought your word to bear in the very present situation of our life. Speak to your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So imagine with me, you're at Jericho, and you're looking over the walls and the safety of your big city with the big walls. That was the way in that day they protected themselves. They would wall their cities to go into the inside of an enemy attacked they could just stand them off hopefully they would just go away so they look and see on the eastern bank of the Jordan some two million people strong coming and they have already heard about this people and what they've already done and they know they wouldn't come to the banks of the Jordan to wave at them they were coming to take their city and so they thought Jordan's our safety net, and to their shock, next thing they know, these two million people is coming across the Jordan and is on their side. Nothing between now them. You're looking over there, and they had terror. You could even see it. Look at verse 1. 
It says in chapter 5, it says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. In other words, all Israel would have had to done is sort of go knock on the gates of Jericho and the people would say, yeah, go ahead. We, we, just, we just saw it. We're, we're done. We're out. A narrator of this wants us to understand that. That their enemies had no will to fight. So what? If you were in charge, what was the obvious next step then if you were in charge of the people of Israel? Take the city, right? They don't want to fight us anyway. This was not only the Worldly wisdom, you could say this was almost common sense. We need to attack. Now, instead of this, God told them to wait for three days. It's that three-day coming back again. It's just what I wanted you to grab. If you grab this, you really grab the purpose of why we went to Joshua in the first place. Preparation comes before victory. The first step was to choose Joshua, and, they, and God chose him. And then Joshua begins to lead, and so they faced their first obstacle, which was the Jordan. And the leaders had stepped in the water first, if you remember, and stood in the middle of the Jordan, and now the people had come back. What's next? War is next. The people came back, if you remember last week, in haste. The men had their swords in their hand. They were ready to fight. Instead, what he says is you need a spiritual renewal, not a fight. Obedience precedes victory. Holiness before heroism. Listen today. I believe this is the word God has for us today. We want victory, but we need revival. We need it. Our city needs it. The church needs it. Faith triumphs through covenant renewal that brings obedience, blessings, and worship. First, let's look at covenant renewal. I just want you to see the need. We're going to come back and look at circumcision in in more detail in a minute. (laughs) And yes, I'm going to say circumcision more times in this message than I've said all year. (laughs) So just get used to it. It's not my illustration, by the way, this morning. It's God's illustration, so we just got to deal with it. Just look at this. We'll explain the context in a minute. Verse 4 And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way of the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So you remember the story. They get to the edge of the promised land to start with, this previous generation, and they said, we will not trust nor obey God. And God said, okay, you are going to spend the rest of your life wandering around in the wilderness. And sometimes we think they were wandering around in the wilderness in a repentant spirit. No, they won't. They're just like the people in hell. The people go to hell. They don't go to hell and spend eternity saying, God, we're sorry for our sins. They go to hell in the hardness of their own heart. And there they stay for eternity. They was wandering out in the wilderness, not obeying the Lord. 
There was not circumcising their children, and so these children had grown up, and now they have their kids, and no one has ever gave a second thought to the fact that they were walking and living in disobedience. Most of our struggles today are not physical problems. Listen, they are worship problems. The sin that dominates your life today, that dominates our lives today, are not mere addictions. They are not bad habits. They are worship disorders first and foremost. And if we don't see that, we will never get freedom from them. You ever notice this? If you doubt that the issues going on in your life today, throughout your life, have been ultimately at the heart a worship issue, just think about this with me. When you get busy or stressed in your life, what are the first two things that you will willingly sacrifice? Corporate worship or gathering for small group? They don't even factor in. i got too many other good things to do. I'm busy. I'm working. I don't have time for biblical community in my life. I don't need it. i got my family. I'm good. That, brothers and sisters, is a worship problem. That's what he's, that's what he's dealing with. They're ready to fight. He says, no, you're not. You're not ready to fight. You see, here's the issue in their life. This is the context. They had been in disobedience and sin so long, it had become their normal. This was simply the way they always lived. It was the way mom and daddy lived. It's the way that our family have always responded to stress or to celebration It's the way we always coped. I have always come home. Here's an illustration, by the way, not me. Somebody might say, I have always come off and had a stressful job. And so when I I get home, I always kick back a few Budweiser's because that's the only way that I can relax. It's not an illustration about alcohol. This is an illustration about the why. Are you with me? Why does that need to happen? Because these things, whatever these are, become a way of escape. They become a coping mechanism and we ask ourselves, isn't that what God's supposed to be for? (laughs) It could not be a Budweiser, it could just be a pack of Twinkies. But if anything is what we grab a hold of first instead of our Lord, it is sin. And here's what he's come to deal with. Before the the warfare starts, he's saying, let's deal with what's going on in the inside. Do you know that right now, that parents of little children are giving their children shots because they're assuming when their children grow up, they're going to sleep around. And so they're going to try to protect their children from the diseases that they will get if they break God's Word. Here's what they're saying. Since I as your parents spit in the face of God's Word, I'm going to help you spit in the face of God's Word too and do it without consequence. Here's what they want you to know today. This is the story of the Bible. That mindset destroyed a generation. And we will not escape if we buy into it ourselves. There is only one way to deal with sin in the Bible. It is radical amputation. Turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Look at verse 27. 
This is why I wanted us to start here. This is the very context of this story. The first step toward revival. Listen. The first step toward revival is to realize the normal in your life is sinful disobedience. And we must cut it off from our life. This is what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 and 27. When he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to love, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And as we know, Jesus is not starting to say to go home and get a hacksaw and start cutting off your hands. But it is say it's high time that we as brothers ought to deal with these things that are dominating our lives. If something is causing you to dishonor your God, cut it off. Don't make friends with it. Don't give it 60 days to get out of your life. Get it out of your life today. That's what he's telling us today. We must realize the need and we must receive the grace. This is not going to feel like grace for God's people. Circumcision is not going to feel like grace. It was grace. And they received it. Verse 7 says, So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place until they were healed. This was a new day for a new people. The question was, are they going to trust and obey? Are they going to do like their parents did? The answer is, they're going to trust and obey. This was essential to victory. Victory was not going to happen if they did not pass this first test. You see, before we can experience covenant blessing, we must pursue covenant obedience. Now, let's think about this obedience. This obedience looked like two things specifically. It looked like circumcision. Then it looked like the celebration of the Passover. But why circumcision? I mean, can you just imagine that word going across the community? What would you say? We got, we got to do what? Man, I'm... 40 years old. I'm 50 years old. Are you serious? Why in the world? There were several reasons. The first of which was to renew their relationship. Like you said, they were thought ready to fight. They weren't. Circumcision, you see, was the mark of the covenant. This started in Genesis 17. Let me just read it to you. Verse 11 says, This is a God. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight day old must be circumcised. This was a visible sign of a total commitment to God and Him alone. It was for them as the Israel, as a nation, to proclaim to the whole world, we are His and we are different. It's ultimately about pointing outwardly to the inwardly, so... so God tells Joshua to do the unthinkable, to incapacitate his army in the shadow of Jericho when they were couched to win the battle. <laughs> I thought about this. Uh, 
Psalms 23 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But man, how he goes about it sometimes makes no sense to us at all. Obedience and total commitment to God precedes the table of victory. They aren't ready for war. You're not ready to spiritually win the battles until we commit to our covenant God afresh and anew. Why circumcision? To renew their relationship. Why else? It was to test their faith. Look at verse 8. When the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Or in other words, this act of obedience made the whole nation of Israel vulnerable. These men would have been completely incapacitated. They would have had no wit, no desire, no ability to fight, to defend their families, to defend Gilgal. They would have, they would have been vulnerable. If, if you can remember another story with me, in Genesis 34, Jacob and his sons are about the way, and, and Shechem raped the daughter, Jacob. To try to make it right, he said, I, I want to marry her. And so what the Jacob's sons come up with was a, was a plan. He said, I tell you what, if y'all all get circumcised, then y'all will be able to marry my, into, into our, with our women and they'll be able to marry you. But y'all all got to get circumcised first because this is what God told us to do. And so all the people of Shechem, all the men of Shechem got circumcised. And it said these men were recovering and Levi and Simon went in and killed them all. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Just read it. Why, did it. why was I able, just a handful of men, able to destroy so many people? Because they had no will or desire to fight. That's what God did to his people. God oftentimes tests us. And most of those te testings humble us. That's his message. That's his point. Listen to uh, Psalms. Chapter 66, Psalm 66 and verse 8. It says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Look at verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net and laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads and we went through fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us up to a place of abundance. There's a purpose for the testing. And we don't always know what it is other than the fact that we can trust our God. This was not only to renew their relationship and to test their faith. It was also, look at verse 9, back in Joshua 5, to remove their shame. To remove their shame. Verse 9 says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal meaning to roll away. The word reproach here means shame. It means disgrace. What, what was the shame of Egypt? So even though this generation was delivered geographically from Egypt, they, as it were, 
carried around the stench of Egypt for 40 years. How so? You see, it's possible to say, I am a Christian, but they'll think like a slave. That was their problem. Instead of thinking like a child of God, like one of His people, they were thinking still and living like an Egyptian slave. Though Israel was delivered out of Egypt, Israel struggled getting Egypt out of them. Brothers and sisters, so do we. You remember in the story as they went about every time situations got hard, they would say, oh... If only we were back in Egypt. Man, we had good fruit in Egypt. We oftentimes look back at situations with rose-colored glasses on. Remember at Sinai where Moses tarried? What did the people do? They, they created an idol just like in Egypt, and they worshipped it and called it God. They thought like a slave. Remember when the spies went out to spy out the land? They come back and said, we can't take it. They're too big. What was that? They were thinking like a slave. Not like somebody who had God on their side. So now, by faith, they cross into the land. And God had removed this shame. He had raised up a new generation that was going to trust and obey Him. Little sidebar. I've told people before, they're in poverty. If you want to get out of poverty, you have to quit having a poverty mindset. If you quit having a poverty mindset, you will be surprised at the progress that you can make in your actual life. And until Israel quitted thinking like a slave... They were never going to trust their God. He said, this was something else, by the way, that he was cutting off from them. So why circumcision? Ultimately, all of this points to this. It was to allow them the freedom to celebrate the Passover. They weren't allowed to celebrate the Passover. Let me just show this to you. It's in Exodus 12. Exodus 12, when all of this gets started, in verse 43... And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be a native of the land. Here's the principle. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Sin, brothers and sisters, quenches your ability to worship your God. For in worship, the Spirit of God must do something. Your worship is not just about you. Your worship is something where God must come and be a part of it. He must do something. And when you are living in sin, you are quenching the Spirit of God. Not only in your life, but in the life of the church. Listen to this. This is the Old Testament. Isaiah 63 and verse 8 says this. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. 
In all their affliction, He was afflicted, and the angels of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Verse 10, But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He turned to be their enemy and Himself fought against them. This obedience was twofold. The obedience of circumcision that marked them off as the people of God different from the nations and it allowed them to be obedient to the Passover by remembering it. Do you remember the story of the Passover? I'm not going to go back and read this in Exodus 12. There was a one more plague. Uh, God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let the people go. And so God said, I'm going to break one more plague. And the only way you as the people of Israel are going to escape the wrath of God is that if you bring an innocent lamb into your house and you, and you slaughter it and you put the blood over the doorpost so when the judgment angel comes, he will pass over this house. And this they did. Listen, this is an important gospel connection here. The Passover was a one-time event never to be repeated. They wasn't redoing the Passover. The Passover happened once. What they were called to do was to remember it. Remember the blood. Remember that that little lamb you brought in didn't do anything to deserve what it received. And it did so, so that you might receive mercy. Israel needed mercy as much as the Egyptians did. And because of this blood, they received it. Boy, you don't have to be very biblically literate to see the gospel there, do you? Remember the blood. Remember that this blood brought deliverance. Remember he told him, put your sandals on. Keep your staff in your hand. The unleavened bread, even though what we will eat in a minute, simply points to the fact that their deliverance was coming. They didn't even have time to let the dough rise. This was their salvation And this is a picture of our salvation. That's just why the author of Hebrews said, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Do you remember when the Lord's Supper was first celebrated? Was it not on the feast of the Passover? Was it not when they were celebrating the feast of the Passover that Jesus said this? Just listen, Matthew 26, 26, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he... Given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink all of it, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many forgiveness of sins. Covenant renewal brought covenant obedience. And it was covenant obedience that brings covenant blessing. You see that? This is a normal pattern in the Bible. And if you write it down and study your Bible, you will see it over and over and over again. God's blessings are sure. For God's covenant people, the blessings he were, they were going to experience that was first God's provision. And these were only foretastes. This is like this life. This life is not the promised land. We've said that and we need to say it over and over again and we will. This life is not the promised land, but brothers and sisters, it has foretaste of it. The blessings of God's provision. Look at verse 11 and 12. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. 
There was no longer manna for the people of Israel because they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So the fruit of the land started and the manna that God had provided in the past stops. Notice there's a day overlap. The manna stopped a day after. If you look up back up at verse 6, you, you find this, this rare thing that we've, we say a lot, that this land was flowing with milk and honey. Doesn't mean actually there was milk running down the streets. It meant this was a, a land, this, this should cause a visual image of a land that was fertile, that would meet all of their needs. And they just got a taste of it in Gilgal. Gilgal was just a snapshot of what was coming. Uh, now, historically, in, from Gilgal all the way up to Jericho, there were palm trees. And, and they were three miles wide and eight miles long. And these palm trees went all the way up to Jericho. Just something remarkably in contrast to what they had experienced on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, Jericho was actually called the city of palms. So they got this foretaste of, we might say, a glory divine. The, this land that they were promised, but there was still a battle to come. He said, prepare yourself. So, the provision, listen to this, Psalms 91 verse 14 says, Behold, he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Thus saith the Lord to God's people. This was the blessing of God's provision. But listen, it all pointed to his presence. The blessing was ultimately in his presence. This comes to our climax. The passage we read earlier. This encounter with this commander. This is, by the way, the tipping point of the narrative. Man, when this thing tips and the conquest started, it is almost overwhelming what is about to happen in the next six chapters. But here's what's first. The commander appears. It's a question. I thought that was Joshua. Right? I thought he was the commander. Reckon this could be what God is teaching him. So who was this guy? I believe brothers and sisters, that this was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ recorded in the Old Testament. And I think we'll see this for the rest of the time as it unfolds. Do you remember when Abraham had three visitors in Genesis 18 and only two of them went on down to Sodom and rescued Lot and destroyed the city? Who was that third guy? When Jacob wrestled, brought him to a place of submission, end up with his name being called Israel, do you remember the three men in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3? Psalms 46, 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I wonder when, when he looked at this man with this 
sword, sword drawn in his hand. If he remembered what Exodus sung in Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You see, this is the point. Joshua is second in command. He said, hey, you, you for us? Are you for them? What did he say? Did you see it? No. <laughs> no. I'm the, I'm the commander of the armies of God, and I am here. In other words, this commander, my notes here, by the way, I've got a capital C, is putting everything into perspective. What needs to be put in perspective in your life today? And in Joshua's life, what was before him? This is not Joshua's war. It's God's war. And he's already won the victory. You've got to keep that in mind in your life. God assumes sovereign control of what's about to happen. So you got a problem with it over the next six chapters. Take it up with the Almighty. Because He's in charge. And what happens over the next six chapters is what God determined to happen. He took, he took over. Joshua would simply be the servant of God. Listen, just like Moses was. I think we all need to hear this today. The Lord is not merely here to help you. He's not. He's here to be your Lord. You get that this morning? He's not just here so that you can do something and then treat God like a glorified bellhop to come along with your plans. God is here to tell you what His plans are and we're supposed to submit to it and follow Him just like Joshua. It's His plan that matters, not us. Remember what Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. This is the principle we have a tendency, brothers and sisters, especially with our American, we can do it individualism. To simply say, this is what God's plan is. It's what I really want to do. I just need God to bless it. I need Him to give me this. All the while, when everybody goes to bed at night, you're sitting there looking at stuff that dishonors people and dishonors your God and expects God to bless it. He will not. He will not. Submit yourself. Think of it this way. John and Marilyn invite me over for supper. Marilyn's in there in the kitchen. Maybe John's helping there. And I say, I come in, I say, Marilyn, I'm thinking hamburgers tonight. Maybe macaroni. I haven't had any corn and cob in a good while. Y'all just call me when it's ready. Now, what's Miss Marilyn in there? If she don't say it out loud, I can tell you what she's thinking. This is my house. Uh, you don't get to pick the menu, brother. Well, I'm about to sit down, and we're going to eat our meal. And we have invited you as our guest to eat what we prepared. And you can eat it, or you can leave. Right? We treat God this way. Listen, this land that they're fixing to go to is God's land. This water that they are drinking is God's water. This milk and honey is His milk. It's His honey. It's His grapes. It all belongs to Him. Everything in your life belongs to God. And you're His guest. And we come along and how dare we look at what God gives us and snub our nose and say, Chicken again? This is what He's getting to at. The issue here is worship. 
The issue here is worship. Notice what he tells him to do. <laughs> All right, here's, here's Joshua. Wow, this is like God. All right, God, what's next? What's the, what's the plan? What he said. Look at what just happens, verse 14. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This, brothers and sisters, is why I say this was none other than God. God the Son. He, they worshiped, Joshua worshipped him, him. And what did the commander do? He received it. Do you remember Matthew 14? Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter comes out and sinks. When they walked into the boat, Mark 14.33 said, And they worshipped. And Jesus receives it. Why? Because he's God. And wherever, listen, here's the point. Look at the text. Wherever God is, is holy. He don't need no building to make it holy. Wherever God is, is holy. And who lives in you, brothers and sisters? God. And so where we go and what we do is meant to reflect Him. This is pointing us back to Moses' burning bush experience. This is Joshua's. This encounter with the living God. This is what he needed before the victory. He didn't need stuff. He didn't need money. He didn't need plans. He didn't need a good battle attack. He needed God on his side. And he needed to worship him and trust him and follow him. God's presence always brings God's protection. <laughs> this commander brought it with him, didn't he? When he said, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Remember in the garden where Jesus said, I could, how many legions of angels I could call? Do you remember 2 Kings 6.15? Elisha's with his servant, and that servant's scared to death, saying, don't you know, don't you see all these people? They've come out here to get us, Elisha. And, and Elisha said, there's more with us than are against us. And was, I don't know, brother. It looks like just me and you here. And so Elisha prays. Verse 16, God opened his eyes. And it says he looked up, he looked at the hills, was full of horses and chariots of fire. Don't you know that there's more going in, on in this world than you can see? The psalmist speaks of the Lord of hosts this way. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. The Lord knows how to come in the midst of your situation. He knows when to come. He knows how to come. And he knows what to bring to deal with the situation. Listen, don't you dare buy in the fact that there was some random earthquake in Jericho. Who knocked the walls down? The armies of God knocked the walls down. That's who knocked them down. He's here. And he's ready. Our priority is not tell God how to fight our battles. Our responsibility is to worship and trust him Joshua to quote Joshua needed to worship before warring to bow before battling to submit before serving John Piper said it this way worship is an inward feeling 
and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. Worship is twofold. You see that quote? It's an inward feeling, absolutely it is, but it, worship is also an out, outward action. Or as Romans 12 said, it is your life. Here's my question for us today. Do you need vival or revival? A vival or revival? I, I get that vival word. I don't even know if it's really a word. I, I heard a guy in, in Washington State, a church planner, said, I don't want you to pray for us for revival. I want you to pray for vival because we've never had it to start with. We've never had new life. And so we can't pray for it to come again. We need it to come. We need the circumcision that comes from the heart. Turn with me to Colossians 2, 8. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so it may mess you up a little bit, but if you just want to listen to it, I think that's fine too. I just want you to hear the clarity that this translation brings to this passage we've read before. Do you need to be vived in Christ today? That's our question first. Uh, Verse 8, Colossians 2. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. When, Christ, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13 You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took away by nailing it to a cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Has this, brothers and sisters, happened to you And if it's not, if he's not cut away your sinful nature and give you a desire for him, then the Bible says that you must be born again. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. didn't tell you you need to pray some prayer or take some class. He tells you you need to be aware of your sinfulness before a holy God and you must turn to him for mercy. And he promises he will provide it. Do you need to be vived? Or could we say that we need to be revived? You've got a typo in your passage there. That really is supposed to be Revelation 2, not Revelation 3. Revelation 2, 2 to 5. Do you remember this church in Ephesus? A church that loved God. A church that was paying the price for being a follower of Jesus. They were doing a lot of wonderful things. They were faithful. They volunteered. They served. Revelation 2 2 says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. 
Look at verse 3. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But listen to what he says. This is the question with revival. But I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I would invite you, no plans to go any further than this this morning, Can you remember that time? Maybe it was when you were first born again, if it was like me. I can remember. I thought about that last night. I, had, I was recovering from back surgery. Never really read a book. I always just been sort of a, meh, you know, I work hard. I make good money. I provide for my family. That's what being a Christian man is supposed to be. I couldn't do anything else during that season, and so I was reading books that people brought me. One of them was a church history book, of all things. You know, quite a thing to give somebody who doesn't really read. But I started running into these dudes who gave their life. I can still remember it. God, what's... I'm not living my life like William Tyndale or... Brainerd, or Wilberforce, or Huss, or any of those guys, listen, that as Christians you should know about, because they challenge us, because some of them gave their whole life just so me and you could read the Bible in English. I prayed, God, I want to know you like those guys know you. That's the seedbed of revival in your life. Do you remember that time when you loved to go, just you just wanted to know God? Nobody had to bait you into a Bible study. Nobody had to offer all the bells and whistles to get you to come. You, you were self-driven, self-motivated. I need to know this God who loved me and gave himself from me. And could we just be honest that not all of us love him like we loved him then? Could this be, before we step further, that God wants us to deal with this? He tells us here, remember, repent, and do. You can never take Jericho, Christian worker, till you have been circumcised, till God has taken away your self-reliance and has brought you down to the dust of death. Then... When the sentence of death is in yourself, you will begin to experience the energy of the divine life, the glory of divine victory. And so we have come to this point in our service that we call a response. I hope you see from Scripture while we celebrate communion every week. This is our Gilgal, brothers and sisters. This is our base camp. This is the safe place that you can come and bring your children and your wives. And it's a place of safety. And it will always be. It's a place for us to come and remember the great sacrifice that our Lord gave to us. For him to, for him to remind us, I will never cast you out of my hand. Because I loved you and I proved it when I sent my son. This is our place where we come and do that. 
How will we respond? How do you need to respond to the gospel today? Do you need to repent and put your faith in Christ for the first time? Or do you need to simply repent that you do not love the Lord as you desire to? And so as we worship and sing, I would invite you in this first song to be still and know that He is God. And to respond appropriately. And then as you respond appropriately, as you come to the cross, then we will come to the tables. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gospel that is lived out and told through all of these wonderful Old Testament stories. And so now we have simply come to respond, to come to you first, either as someone who is lost that needs a Lord and a Savior and coming to Christ is the only one who can save, or Lord, just as many of us who the years and the heart has wore us down and we need to come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry and I want to know you like I knew you back then. Lord, we believe no matter the need, no matter the situation, that you are more than able and more than willing to meet all of us right where we stand. And so, Lord, this we pray, that you visit your people today. That you meet them where they are. That you let them know, no matter what has happened in the past, that there is a God who loves them. And he proved it on the cross and the resurrection. And so, God, we celebrate you as the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the Lord of our situation, the God over all of our enemies. And yet our Father, who loves us to sit on his lap and enjoy him. So be both today to your people in Jesus' name. Amen.